say so this is what the word of the Lord says it says now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may obey them in the land which you are crossing over to possess that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you you, your son, and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Now, if we just pause for a moment and you look at what he is saying here, he's not saying, I want you to be miserable. He's not giving us these commandments because he wants us to be unhappy. On the contrary, he's giving us these commandments. He's giving his people these commandments because he wants them to experience the fullness of life. Say the fullness of life. And so a lot of times we look at the rules or the laws of God and we begin to equate, well, he's denying me something good. God would never deny you anything good. The Bible says that every good gift comes from where? From above. The issue is sometimes we think certain things are good and they're really not. Let us continue. Verse 3, therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God your fathers as the Lord as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey hear o israel the lord our god the lord is one he alone is god you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and with all of your strength and these words which i command you today shall be in your heart you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. If we look at verse 6 before I pray, it says here, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Before we're going to be any good teaching the Bible, before we're going to be any good doing anything that has to do with speaking, the truth must dwell, must reside in us. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hidden in mine heart that I might not sin against you. They didn't say, I knew some scriptures and that made me not sin. He said, Your word, I've hidden it like treasure hidden inside of my heart. And so that is the heart that we must have as the people of God. Teaching is important. Talking about it is important, but is it in your heart? Father, we do thank you so much for your truth that liberates us, that sets us free, your truth that is great. And God, we thank you so much today for all that you are doing, Lord God, in our hearts. And I pray, dear Jesus, that as I share your word with your people, that you would speak to our hearts that you would use me and that I would decrease, that you would increase and that your name would be glorified. 
pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Someone said, you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you're visiting with us today, I just want to say I'm glad you made it. Amen. Give the Lord a hand of praise for any visitors we have. First time, second time, just, you know, you came by to say hello. We appreciate you being with us today. Um, one really quick announcement before I get into this message. In the front lobby area, those of you that remember a couple of weeks ago, we launched a baby bottle campaign. And many of you took home baby bottles. And this is just a way of reminder. In the lobby area, there's a basket there. And if you bring your, um, your bottles that are filled with money, the purpose of this, for those of you that don't know, the purpose behind this is because um, last week when I was not here, there was a woman who came and spoke. And when she shared with us, she is the president and founder of the, of the Sanford Crisis Pregnancy. Center, and what they are going to be doing is they are going to be moving to Oviedo. And I know that in, in the little video that I that I did last week, I said that they may be moving into the house that's right here on the property, which would be an awesome thing. Well, after um, after the video, after she spoke here, she met with her board of uh, her her board members, and they gave her the go ahead so she can move forward to you know begin the process. So if everything works out, that'll be where they'll be located, which will be an awesome thing. So continue to keep that in prayer. Um, for those of you that don't know about this property, the reason why that becomes so exciting to me is because this property was originally, the original owner was a Christian man who did not have any heirs. And when he passed away, he donated this property and other properties that he had in Oviedo to churches and for ministry purposes. And this property was going to be just an office space that was going to, you know, be used for different things. And God sovereignly has preserved it. And so what an awesome thing that there's a church on this property. There may be a crisis pregnancy center on this property. Property, and God is going to use this property for his glory and his honor. Amen? And so please keep that in prayer. Um, it'll also be a great, great, great opportunity for us to really be a visible light of hope for the people that come in there in crisis. They're already going to get the word. They're going to get the gospel when they go there and they meet with Andrea and her team of people and any of you who would like to volunteer who may be part of that. Um, they're going to hear the gospel, but they also need a place to be pointed to. And what a better place than the place they drove right into. Amen? So great opportunity for us, for us to be wise stewards of what God has given us. Um, so make sure that if you have those baby bottles, if you haven't been um, intentional about getting them filled, that you do that. And then you bring them in as soon as possible. By the end of the month is when we're supposed to have all of them turned in. They want to be able to move into Oviedo within three to six months. So the sooner that all of the churches get their part done, the sooner that they'll be able to move here. Amen. All right, so we are continuing on in our series here, and in this series, we are dealing with marriage and family. Now, you guys should have the handouts. If you do not have the handout that was given, you can raise your hand. We printed out some more to make sure that everyone gets one. So if you don't have a handout, raise your hand, and the ushers will come and bring you the handout. The reason why I want you to have the handout is because I really want you to take notes. I know that a lot of us sometimes are not note takers. I personally am not a note taker. Um, generally, I'm not a note taker. What I have learned um, as I've gotten older is that it works better if I take notes if I want to retain stuff. Y'all missed that. I, I know. As, as you get older, you know, you, you, you don't memorize things as well as you used to. And so I used to be able to sit down and hear a message and quote it verbatim. Now I'm like, yeah, he preached this, and I start to, like, paraphrase stuff all over the place. And so ultimately what I've learned is that when something is important, I should take notes. Amen? All scripture is important, right? 
So that means that you should make it a habit. This should, this should be something that is like a catalyst for you to lead you in the right direction, for you to get yourself a notepad, buy one like every three months or something like that, I don't know, and just sit down and try to take notes. And when I notice people taking notes, you'll notice that I will repeat myself because I do speak kind of fast. So what I'll do is I'll pause, try to repeat myself, and if you need, you know, the repetition, just say, repeat that, and I'll get excited, and I'll repeat it. So we can work together to say, repeat that again. That was, you know, even if whatever, just repeat it. I'll repeat it. We can get it written down. Just don't say that after every line. Because then, you know, if I preach for an hour, we'll be here for like two hours, maybe longer. Um, so ultimately, I want you to take notes. We're dealing with a few things. And the first one is marriage and family. We're still on that topic. I meant to preach one week on it, but it didn't happen that way. I began the first week, started talking about marriage, opened up a can of worms dealing with dating and what is the biblical way that this should occur. And so because of that and some conversations that I had after that, then what I did was I went ahead and I expounded deeper on that whole topic topic of courtship and so for those of you that were not here you can look at it on Ustream and you can watch the message I can also send you the notes if you would like that you just have to email me and I'll send you the notes of the message and you can go over that as well and so I encourage you though to listen to those messages if you have not heard them but in dealing with marriage and family the first part that we dealt with obviously was marriage and let me just repeat a few things that I said first of all when we look at these verses here we find something we looked at verse 6 verse 6 says clearly that these words that I command you today shall be in your heart the most important thing, the thing of utmost importance is that the word of God, that the commandments of God, that the will of God is inscribed upon our hearts, that we hold it dear to us and that it matters to us because if it does not, our words will fall upon deaf ears. We will become those people that are just like the Pharisees who spoke out of what they knew, not of who they knew. They didn't speak with an authority. It was because they didn't have that where the word was dwelling deep inside of them, changing them. They just knew that there were rules rules and regulations, and they were the type of folks that they just wanted to be blessed, so they figured if I comply with certain things, that I'm going to experience a certain level of blessing. Well, Jesus comes on the scene, and he totally erupts, and he lets them know that you are incorrect. The word of God needs to be in your heart. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells the disciple in one of the gospels, I wish I could tell you where it is, but I don't know exactly where it is, but it'll be good, though. You can read through the whole gospel and find it, but Jesus communicating to his disciples, he tells them, listen to what the teachers teach you. Don't do what they do. And so what he was saying was, they're telling you the right stuff, but they ain't living it. So don't follow their example. The reason why? Because it wasn't in their hearts. It was on their lips. They knew it because they grew up learning the laws of God, but it wasn't in their hearts. And so we got to have the word of God in our hearts. The next thing that we'll notice in verse 7 here, it says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So this verse gives us two more components. The first component is that the word of God must dwell richly in our hearts hearts. Let me explain it to you like this. I don't care how you do it, okay? Nowadays, everybody uses their phone, okay? Most people use their phone or they use, um, you know, some kind of pad or something or a tablet or whatever, and they have their Bible on it. Some of you are not, you know, old school. You don't want to, you know, turn pages. That's fine. It doesn't matter. The pages don't make it more holy. But here is the point. If you have it on your phone, it should be something that you are meditating on daily, if you're old school, just because you're old school doesn't mean you're holy either. Hello. Because you can be old school and love the way the pages feel, but never feel the pages. And never read the scriptures as you, as you should be flipping through them, but you look real holy walking into church toting your Bible. 
And then you look down the side of your nose at other people who are, you know, looking at their phone. You're like, are they text messaging? No, most of them. I'm just saying, I'm defending some of y'all that, you know, bring those things to church, right? Now, don't get crazy. Don't start emailing and text messaging through church, right? Glory to God. Need to make sure. But the point of the matter is you got to have the scriptures in your heart. They need to be something that you're meditating on. However you do it, you need to get them in there. And that's only going to come through repetition. It's only going to come through meditation. It's only going to come through you being in the scriptures and letting the word get inside of you. But then the next verse tells us here that we are supposed to teach them diligently. It doesn't say flippantly teach them, meaning without seriousness. He says diligently teach them to your children. So that means that as fathers, as mothers, we are supposed to be intentional in the teaching of the word of God. When you look at that word teaching there diligently, it is tying in with making disciples. And so what we see here is that the first place where discipleship should happen is where? In the home. The same way that you expect us to have some type of syllabus, something that we're going through in order to do Bible studies and preaching, you don't want us to just come off the hip. You as parents, we as parents should not do that either. We should have an intentional, structured way that we teach our children the Bible. But we don't just teach them the Bible. We also do the next thing that he says, talk about it. You don't just teach it to them. You talk to them about it. With my daughter, I had, a, I had an amazing experience. And as, as I'm dealing with the topic today on family, what, what, what we were a, a long time ago, and, and I'll say this now because I may not say it later, but our greatest test as parents is not going to be how well our children act standing next to us, holding our hand, sitting next to us in our car, in our house. It is going to be how they act when they are not in our presence. If your kids cannot act right outside of your presence, you have done a bad job. Oh, I know that was so offensive. Listen, if your children do not know how to act outside of your presence, and when I say act, I don't mean act like a hypocrite and just be good. No, no. I'm talking about know how to live. If they don't know how to do that, you have done a bad job in instructing them. Because guess what? They're not going to be able to sit in your lap all your life. They're not, they're not going to sit by you every You know what? They, they need, my daughter, I, I want her to sit next to me as long as she can, glory to God. I want her to be with me as much as possible. I want to, look, I, I change schedules, everything, so that way I can be with her more. But here's the point. The point is that, that I was trying to make. I remember one time when she was younger, when, when she was, I, I don't know how old she was. She might have been five or four, something like that. And we went to Texas, and she has cousins. And let me tell you something. My family, you know, my wife's family, they're all Christian, you know, Baptists. They love Jesus, and, you know, they're serious about the word. And, and so the point of the matter is we, we, we're not going around heathens. It's not like, you know, my side of the family. They don't know Jesus. It's a different scenario. You expect them to act crazy, right? So you prep your child and be like, listen, don't, don't, that, that's not Jesus over there. Anyway, the point is, we're downstairs, you know, having fellowship among the adults. My daughter's playing with her cousins, and all of a sudden, she comes down and sits next to me. And I'm like, you know, what, what's wrong? Why are you not playing? I mean, I know they're up there having a good time. And she sits next to me, and she's like, nothing. I'm like, well, what happened? I said, well, they started watching, um, you know, Wizards of Waverly Place. And I was like, okay. I never, I never really talked to her about Wizards of Waverly Place. She knew that that was not right to watch. And so she got up and she left the room. When she was in preschool and kindergarten, she would get into arguments about kids who wanted to celebrate Halloween. And it wasn't because I was, like, drilling her, listen, we don't do Halloween. It was not even like that. 
It was that she knew certain things. But here's the point. A few years later, we fast forward, right? You think you got that lesson down, right? Remember, we teach, but then we also talk about it. A few years later, we're sitting down and we're watching a movie, and a a commercial comes up for Harry Potter. And so she says to me, Daddy, why is it that we can't watch Harry Potter? And I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for technology, because I could just Google wizard, and it was great. Wonderful, hallelujah. I could just search the topic of all of witchcraft and all. And so we sat down, and we had a much more in-depth conversation as to why we don't do that, as to why we don't support that, why, why we don't. Well, she's like, but, Daddy, it's just on TV. I said, it doesn't matter. It's on your TV. You're bringing it into your home. Mm-hmm. I know y'all are like, bishops getting religious. No, I'm not. I didn't tell you, you do what you, you watch. It's your TV. You watch. You decide who comes into your house. Let me say it again. You decide who comes into your house. I'll decide who comes into mine. That's, all, that, that's on you. Because guess what? All of us are going to stand before the Almighty one and give an account for who we allowed in. And don't think that you just allow people to walk in through your doors. You allow them to walk in through your television. You allow them to instruct your children. I heard a preacher a long time ago, and he came, and he was speaking on Disney. And I'm going to get real religious on you right now, make you feel real bad about all of your love for Disney. This preacher, he gets up there, and 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 he preached passionately. Okay, about the whole situation with Disney, and he and he was breaking stuff down. He was talking about there are offices where the best-selling movies that you see on Disney, there are offices where there are literally altars to Satan that these movies are on. And he's got this stuff documented. He has challenged people to deny it. They won't deny it. So he's going through all of this. He talked about this one, this one, and for those of you that own this movie, you can go home and you can look at it if you don't know it's there. But you know the little mermaid, right? That little cute little movie and stuff like that. Well, look at the castle on the front, and you will know that there is an erect penis in the castle, right? So Pastor Robert said they removed it. But if you have the old one, it was intentional. Someone was intentionally doing that, okay? Someone was, who, who is that? Listen, I'm not going to blame anyone. I'm going to tell you that the enemy wants to influence your children's minds. And the reason why this pastor was so, 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 so passionate in his preaching against Disney, why you shouldn't support it, is because he said that his child started acting a certain way. And he realized, you know who was raising my child? The Disney movies and not me. So what's the problem? Do you need to stop watching Disney? Well, my daughter has a few Disney movies, but I can guarantee you this. Disney doesn't raise her. Jason and Elaine do. And so the point is, it's not about saying no to a bunch of stuff because you can become real religious and still not raise your kids right. It's about parenting intentionally. And so we have this here in the scriptures where we have to teach them, but then we also have to remind them. We have to continue to pour into their lives, continue to speak into their lives and let them understand some things. And so, and that way they can grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus is. And so what I said before was one generation will believe a truth, the next generation will assume a truth, and the following generation will doubt, question, and even reject the truth held dear to their grandparents. And that truth goes with Bible truth. That truth goes with any truth. And so what is our goal as adults, as people who are sitting in this place? Listen, I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. You should desire to be that generation that believes the truth. You should desire to be that generation that believes the truth of Scripture, that believes the truth of what God wills, that believes those truths, and not just believe them, but that you are a person who lives those truths, a person who teaches those truths, and a person who intentionally passes the gospel onto your children's children. That's the kind of people that we should be concerned about being. 
Don't worry about everybody else's failures, everybody else's mistakes. And let me say this right here while I'm talking about this. Everybody's at different places. Some of us have older kids. Some of us has younger kids. Some of us are thinking about having kids. Some of us have no desire to have children. And, and you know what? We may have all faltered. I know everyone in this place, none of us, when we had the pastors up here, we all discussed how we have all faltered, how we have all fallen, how we are all um, falling short, and we are not perfect parents. And so ultimately, I don't want to just come up here because I'm going to be hard and I'm going to be straight up, but I don't want you to leave here with your head down like there is no hope. There is hope in Jesus. And so if you got your head down, look, just, just repent and turn away from whatever you got your head down about. That's the truth because the fact of the matter is God is our hope. His grace is sufficient. And so you know what? If you have children that are older and you feel like, man, I failed in so many areas, what can I do? Be an example today. Love them today. Show them the gospel today. That is what you do. You live it out today. You have children that are young. One of the biggest things for me, and, and, and as, as Alexis has gotten older, what I have become is much more intentional than what I used to be. A lot of times I would just, you know, stuff would just happen. We had a good children's church. They were learning some good stuff there. And so she goes to a private school, and we'll discuss all of that, you know, in a couple of weeks here. But ultimately, she was getting good Bible instruction. So, I didn't have, so in my mind, I didn't have to be so intentional. But today it's a different thing. And so I felt like I failed in certain areas, and I continue to say, well, God, I'm not going to cry over spilled milk. Like I used to tell the youth, you need to pour yourself a new cup, get some cookies, and start dipping. Let's move on, right? No point in crying over it. Clean up the mess. Let's move on. And so that's what I'm encouraging you to do. But what I do want you to do is recognize the mess. Don't just be one of those people that says, oh, well, Bishop said I can pick my head up. Hold on a second. Put your head down for a moment. At least feel bad about failing. At least recognize where you did wrong. At least recognize and repent of that, and that way you can become what God has called you to be. Amen? And so marriage, the first point that I made was that marriage is fundamentally one of the clearest depictions of the gospel. Marriage is clearly, it, it is one of the most clear pictures of the gospel. And so our marriages show forth the love of Jesus for his church and church for Jesus. And so marriage is to be honored, held in high esteem because it mirrors that relationship between Christ and the church. And what made me open up the can of worms was this last line. And it is that in our culture, we want people to marry, to, to, to keep from marrying too early, we don't worry about getting them ready for marriage. And so we as parents want to make sure that we are getting our children ready for marriage so that way they can end up, or that way they can be utilized to restore marriage. The point that I will deal with today, two points that I'll deal with, is, and this is number two, is this. Say this with me. Children must be viewed and valued as an inheritance from the Lord. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 127 so you can have this scripture. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. This, is, this should be a very familiar scripture to many parents in this place. The first part of the verse, for some of you, you'll know better than the second. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. When you got to say amen. And it says this in verse 3. It says, Behold, Children are a heritage or an inheritance from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. And so the writer of Psalms here, and it is Solomon, obviously, if you look up, your, your Bible probably says it here, Song of Ascent of Solomon. Solomon is speaking. The first verse, which you guys may be more familiar with, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
And so in dealing with our families, he is starting it off talking about the building of a house. And the way that a house is built is by what? It's by understanding what you've been given. The first thing we have to do is understand what God has entrusted us with. And to give this scripture here, verses 3 through 5, they give us God's view of children. Now, some of the things here you may not understand, and they don't necessarily apply today. Like, you know, for example, happy is necessarily, in this, in this, in this sense, happy is the man, in verse 5, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Well, back in the days, you know, you, the bigger your family was, the better it was for you when you had to fight people. Hello. So today, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have a big family in order to be able to handle your business. But ultimately, you want to have as much fruit in your life as possible. Amen? That's what we should desire, that our marriages have that, that they flourish, that we realize, man, God has given us something. He says here that children, that the fruit of the womb is a reward. You know why I say this, and, 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 I, and, I, and I'm kind of like, wow, I don't know if people get this, is because I know two people, one of them is a couple is Christian, the other couple is not Christian, and they have zero desire to have children. Zero desire. They don't want to have kids, and they think that that's just cool. That's not cool. Not according to God's standards. According to our culture standards, oh, it's cool because, oh, I can't afford them, whatever the case is. I don't want to bring up children into this world, you know, because it's so corrupt and so messed up. So you don't, you don't, want, to, you don't want to experience the challenge. Hold on a second. But what is God's view? What is he, what he says that's a reward. So here's the point. We cannot say that we view children as an inheritance if we don't raise them as such. If we don't, it, l- l- listen, if someone gave you a bunch of money, you wouldn't just go running through the streets throwing it up and just be like, whatever. Would you? Because every one of y'all, I know this, you know, even if you don't play the lottery, you think about, well, if I won the lottery, I would do this, this, and this. See, some of y'all were too quiet, so I guess all y'all play the lottery. Ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, ultimately, again, that's something you have to stand before him about. But listen, here's the thing. Everyone thinks about, man, if I had this money, I'd pay this off. I'd do this. And, you know, mostly because you want to clear your conscience, you're like, you know, I'm going to tie 20% instead of 10%. <laughs> Glory to God. Love that. Indulgences here, Glory to God. I'm just, just going to do this. Listen, here's the thing. Everyone thinks about that. With our children, do we, do we think the way that God thinks? Are these really the heritage that the Lord has given us? Are they really the inheritance that God has given us? Or do we just view our children as a cost rather than a value? Because a lot of people just see how much it costs to have a child. We look at how, how, how much it's going to cost us, how much it's going to take, how much money. That's how, that's how people now, that's how you do it. That's how you decide how many kids you're going to have. Can you afford You don't look at anything else. You don't look at scripture. You don't pray. You don't see God. It's just looking at it from that perspective. Well, we can't afford anymore, so it's time to close the shop. Oh, y'all, y'all are quiet. Am I, am I lying here? Are you, oh, oh, no. I know I'm not lying. This, this is the way we do it. We're not, we're not going to do it anymore because we can't afford anymore. Listen, am I t- I'm, I'm not telling you to go. I'm telling you, does, is that, does that align with Scripture? What was God's original plan in the book of Genesis? What, 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 was his, what, what did he say? Be fruitful and multiply. Hallelujah. That's what he said. Do you think God changed his mind? 
Did, I mean, really, did he, did he change his mind? Now, listen, there are some situations people cannot have children, so you are off the hook in that sense. Hello. But if you are stopping the process, there's a problem with that. Well, Bishop, shouldn't we be able to get married and enjoy each other? I don't know. Did you pray about that? That's what I'm saying. Did you pray on that? Did you see God about that, or did you just pull that out of where? Out of the social hat. That's the way it's supposed to be done. We're supposed to be married for at least three years before we have children because we have to be able to enjoy each other. Okay, I guess we got that rule from somewhere. I don't know where. It's not in the Bible anywhere. But we hold it as the law. We counsel people. Come on. Oh, oh, glory to God. We counsel people. Listen, when you get married, you shouldn't have children right away. Think about it. Think about this. This is, but this is the mindset that we have gotten from where? From God? No. We didn't get that from the scripture. But you know what happens? We as spiritual people, as Christians, we don't, it's one of those things that, you know, it's kind of like in that gray area. So it sounds good. It sounds, yeah, they should get to know each other because having children, it puts a burden on your marriage. That's the reason why we counsel people. Listen. We need to look at our Bibles to see what God says. God says that our children are a heritage from the Lord. They are an inheritance. Now, I'm going to talk to you about something, and it has to do with parenting. I told you all that I was going to be reading this book um, about when to have the conversation, of, or when to have the first initial conversation of sex with your children. I want to read this to you because this was really illuminating for me. When I was going through Bible college, where there was one class that we did. It was on family, and when we were talking about family, it talked about different styles of parenting. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because I want you to really challenge yourself and figure out what kind of parent you are. It's going to be real quick and easy, and you're going to know which category you fall into, and you can repent, you can rejoice, whatever you want to do. But ultimately, what I'm saying is look at yourself and think about this because if you are parenting in one of these negative ways, then guess what? You're, not, you're definitely not treating your kids like an inheritance from the Lord. So let me read this to you. Parenting is an extremely complex activity. Psychologists have been trying for quite some time to classify types of parents according to the most vital um, dimensions of parenting. The best research in this area should prove very encouraging to Christian parents. Parents, Researchers have divided parents into four basic types on the basis of two major factors. The first factor is what the parents expect of their children. The second factor is how the parents respond to their children emotionally. So two things that we got to think about as parents. Number one, what do I expect of my children? How do I hold them to, you know, what, what, do I, what do I expect of them? And the second thing is, how do I respond to them emotionally? The four types of parenting are the first type is neglecting. The second type is permissive. The third type is authoritarian. And the fourth type is authoritative. The authoritative style is clearly superior. Let me, let me break this down. Or they broke it down. I was going to read it for you. Neglecting parents. Expect little of their children and offer little emotional support. Don't have high expectations, don't give a whole bunch of emotional support. There's no support there for the kids, so what's the kid going to do? The kid's going to create their own standards, do whatever they want to do. The second type of parent is a permissive parent or an indulgent parent, and they are big on emotional support. They're big huggers. But they expect little of their children and do not challenge their children to be all they can be. So, see, a lot of times that's how, that's how we are. You know, we didn't get love when we were growing up, so we want to be loving. We want to love, and, 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 and it's good. 
Can I say this? It's good to be loving. Amen? But you can't be loving to the neglect of expectations. We're going to get to the reason why that's so important. The next type of parent is the authoritarian parent. This parent overemphasizes discipline, expectations, and control on their children. They punish, they push their children hard, but are cold and disconnected, leaving their children feeling unloved, valued only for their accomplishments. So then there's the other household that, you know, your family was nothing and you are going to be everything. And I'm going to be tough on you and we're going to call it tough love, but that's no love. That's just tough without the love. And there's, the, and there's that side. And then there is the one that is the most, that, that, is all, that is better than all of these. And it is the authoritative parent. That is, a, they are strong in both areas, offering both high expectations and they lavish love and support to their children. These parents have things they want to teach their children, but they combine an emphasis on discipline with warmth, communication, and affection. The consensus today is that this is the most effective parenting style and produces the healthiest children. Research suggests that children with this type of parent tend to have the highest level of self-esteem, self-reliance, and social competence as compared to all of the other groups. They tend to perform better in school, having a stronger motivation to achieve. This research reinforces our belief that parents are representatives of God in the lives of their children. Now, let me pause there because when we look at parenting, a lot of times, and I don't know why we as Christians do this, it is a bad habit. We disconnect everything we do from God. Like, I'm at work and I forget that I'm a Christian. I'm being a father right now? Wait a second, you're a representative of Jesus. I'm being a mother right now? You're a representative of Jesus. You don't disconnect these areas. You don't compartmentalize and say, well, I'm being a dad right now, and so I don't need to worry about being a Christian. Yes, you do. I'm, being, I'm, I'm, I'm disciplining right now. Right, but is your discipline abusive? Or I'm just showing compassion right now. Really? Is that compassion becoming a license for your child? Because we have to think about all of these things because if, if not, then we're giving a bad representation of who our God is under our children. So here's what happens. Righteousness and love are two fundamental facets of God's character. God is perfect love and perfect righteousness. A Christian understanding of God balances these two realities, overemphasizing God's love to the exclusion of his righteousness, and God becomes the cosmic Santa Claus overemphasize God's righteousness to the exclusion of his love, and God becomes a terrifying cosmic tyrant toward whom we can only fear. God's perfect balance of these two characteristics is at the heart of the gospel. Again, being good parents, being godly parents, is about us being the best representation of the gospel in our families that we can be. It is the same thing with our marriages. The reason why we have healthy marriages is first and foremost, not because it makes me feel good, not because it makes her feel good, but because it brings glory to Jesus. Listen, being a good husband, it doesn't always feel good. See, y'all, 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 it's okay to laugh. Sometimes I don't want to be a good husband. I want to be nasty. I want to be mean. I want to be inconsiderate. I want to be selfish. I don't want to think about her feelings. It would be a lot easier for me to just do my own thing and she can fend for herself and we come together when I want to have sex. 
Well, if we're going to keep it real, let's keep it real then, right? Because that's how most brothers would think. But Jesus came into my life, and I realized that it ain't all about sex. Hello. I need to love my wife the way that Christ loves the church. And you know what? It hurt Jesus to love you. He wasn't in the garden sweating drops of blood because it felt good. But the Bible says, for the joy set before him, he endures this cross. And so ultimately, it's the same thing in parenting. There are some things, man, there, there are some things that I have to deal with and that I have to do with, with my daughter. That when I, man, I, I want to cry when I have to walk away because I, didn't wanna, I don't want to discipline her like that. But it hurts me. And there's other things that it's not, you know, it's not even about the discipline aspect. It's just certain things I don't want to do. Like, she want to go to the pool all the time. I hate going to the pool. I'm like, I hate going. If there's one place that I dis, I don't like going to the pool. And my daughter loves the pool. She's like, Daddy, we're going to the pool. I'm like, babe, I come up with like 10 different excuses all the time. I'm like, no, no, no. And this, this year, I decided I'm going to be a good dad. And I said, you know what? We are going to the pool every Friday in the summer if it does not rain. I'm praying for rain every Friday. <laughs> she doesn't know that. And so don't, don't be telling her that stuff. I'm just kidding. I'm not praying for rain. Ultimately, <laughs> I'm not. And I, that would be wrong. That would be like witchcraft, and I'm not down with that, Okay. But ultimately, sometimes being a parent, you know, there, there are certain things you don't want to do. You would love to go do your own thing. I mean, you think about it. It's not, I mean, can we be real for a moment? It's not like when you get married, all of those things you used to like to do when you were single left you. They, they're still there. You just have to choose between married life, single life. And if I want to stay married, I better say no to single life. I want to be seen as a good parent, then I have to say no. So ultimately, I need to make sure that I have this right mindset. So let me keep reading here. Authoritative parenting reflects God's character to our children by manifesting both expectations and love. In having demands and expectations for their children, parents embody God's character of justice and righteousness in which he reveals his will for his people and desires us to live up to it for our own good. Remember what we read earlier? God doesn't give you these laws because he wants to say no to you. He gives you these laws because he wants you to experience the fullness of life. And if he doesn't give you laws, you will make a mess of stuff. That's it. They're always making laws because we don't know how to act. They try to enforce stuff. I mean, if we knew how to act, you know, anyway, I ain't going to go there. We're just going to keep on. Let, let's, let, let me just move on. I won't chase that one today. In being accepting and loving parents, we embody God's loving and merciful character in which time and again he pursues his wayward people out of love until he brings them home. And so both of these, you cannot neglect one or the other. Now, sometimes, look, man, there's going to be one parent, you know, that's going to be a little bit more loving, you know, than, than they are authoritative, you know, and that, that's fine. That, that's understandable. But that doesn't excuse you because your kids can't come and say, well, I'm going to come to daddy because, you know, he's just, just full of love. And, you know, mom is going to say no, but dad will say yes. Just all I got to do is come and, you know, smile at him. <clears throat> I'm saying, or vice versa, whatever the case is. I don't know what your situation is. Listen, you can't just be like, you know, Sergeant whoever. 
and never show some love. You can't. And vice versa. So we have to have the right mindset. Many people, as I said earlier, they see children as a burden. They only count the cost of the child, not as a blessing, instead of counting the value of the child. Now, moving forward here, as parents, when we look at ourselves as being either neglecting parents, being permissive parents, being authoritative parents, or authoritarian parents, if you are not a person, now listen, I want you to understand this. As a parent... I know we all have good intentions, and what happens to us is that a lot of times we experience certain things growing up. Some people, they never heard, they never felt love in their house, and so they will overcompensate trying to show love, and they will neglect the need to discipline, and vice versa. Like I said, you will be the other type of parent, the parent that is overly, like, just hardcore disciplined because my kid's going to be an alumnus somewhere, and they're going to, you know, do this and do Hold on a second. We have to consider this. How are we treating the heritage that God has given us? Are we treating our children like an inheritance? Or are we treating them just like some project? Children aren't some project that we have for 18 years and then they're on their own. I don't know, but I mean, my daughter's only 10, but I can tell you this. I don't foresee any time that I'm going to check out of being a dad. Our relationship will change. Obviously, that's going to happen. But there will never be a day that I'm not her dad. There will never be a day that she can't come and communicate with me. There will never be a day that I can't counsel her. There will never be a day that those things don't happen. And so, again, she's not just a project. She's my daughter. She's the inheritance. And you know what? Here's the thing about God and inheritance. This is the reason why this is such an important point. Because God is going to call all of us to an account for what we did with the inheritance he entrusted us with. That's what he's going to do. He's going to call all of us to account. What did you do with the inheritance I gave you? Not just the money that I gave you, not just the talents and the ability I gave you, what about the children I gave you? And listen, for those of you young people that are in here, those of you that don't have children, listen, remember this message. Buy this and, like, put it in an archive somewhere. Be like, mail this to myself when I'm getting married. Seriously. And that way you remember these things because, regardless, we're all going to give an account. Now, I asked the question earlier because it was totally countercultural, and this is probably the most countercultural part of the entire message that I preach, and is that God's original plan hasn't changed. God said be fruitful and multiply. That's what he meant, right? Well, let's go to the book of 1 Timothy because I don't want to just tell you, well, Genesis, because, you know, some of you will argue the point in your mind because you're not going to get up and, you know, yell, but you will argue the point in your mind or your heart, and you will say, no, that's not for today, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 5. Now, I'm going to quote to you scriptures in the next two, in, in this point and in the next point. I'm going to quote to you scriptures from here, and there's a reason for this. When you got 1 Timothy chapter 5, say amen. amen. All right, the reason why I'm going to go from 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and those books is because those books are known as the pastoral books. And the reason why it's so important is because these are clear instructions that the Apostle Paul is giving to Timothy as to how to run these churches and what should be taught and what should be expected in these churches. And so in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, now in 1 Timothy chapter 5, just to give you some context, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the widows and he's talking about, you know, who should be a widow and who shouldn't be and all of this kind of stuff. But he comes down to verse 14 and he says this. He says, therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. 
So he's saying this. He's saying there's some women, your husband died, whether it was at war, whether it was at work, whatever it was. And so rather than becoming a widow and becoming a burden on the church for the rest of your life, and then also something else is going to happen. You're going to be a widow, and because you're young, the desire of a woman is going to continue to rise inside of you. You're going to want a husband. And so now you're going to bring disgrace. So rather than doing that, here's the instruction. If you're a younger woman, you can still have children. You still have life and vigor in you. Get married. He doesn't say just get married, but he says get married, bear children. Have children. Okay, that's one scripture. So let's go to another scripture. Let's go to the book of Titus. Just a couple of books over here. The book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. If you have like the titles over the chapter, the title over the chapter here says, Qualities of a Sound Church. You think that applies for today? Absolutely. Hallelujah. Qualities for a sound church. I'm just going to read from verse 1. When you got to say amen, it says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and in patience. The older women likewise. So the older women should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, and patience. And then he says that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. Now, pause. He's telling them that they're supposed to be teachers of good things. He's going to give them the list of things that they're supposed to be teaching here. Verse 4 says that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers. I know y'all did not want to hear homemakers there. Good, obedient to their own heart. You definitely didn't want to hear that one. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Listen, if you plan on getting married and you're a woman, that applies to you. Hallelujah. For some of you, it is better to stay single. Seriously. Paul says it in 1 in Corinthians chapter 7. For some of you, it's going to be better. Stay single. Because you're not going to love your husband, you don't want to have children, that's fine. Stay single. You shouldn't get married if you don't want none of that stuff. I know, that's discouraging. Can I tell you something? You have to be honest with who you are, right? And, and, and I think that that's one thing that a lot of people, they, they, they don't want to talk about, is who I am, the things that I desire. Now, if you're already married, you're already married, so you're stuck. Hallelujah. All right? I said stuck. You are, you, 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 are, you are stuck. If you're already married, you are married. So now you just got to suck it up. This is what God has called you to do. He's called you to love your husband. And I'm speaking to the wives at this moment. He's calling you to love your husband, love your children, call you to be a homemaker. Call you, he's called you to do all of those things. So what does it say here? Did, did you not see two times there that, that the, the apostle is speaking to two different leaders in churches, and he's making it clear that children are part of the plan? You see that, right? That's not something that we're making up. Culture wants to tell you different, and even in church, they'll tell you different. But here's the bottom line. Here's the question. The question then becomes, how many children do I have? How many children do I have that's going to make me holy? Listen, there's no holy number. Well, you have four, you're holy. You have six, you're even more holy. I mean, you're like, I mean, no, listen. You need to be prayerful about those decisions. You need to talk. There are different, listen, there are different people hold different positions on this when it comes to like birth control and all this kind of stuff. You can't get legalistic. 
Did you hear me? You cannot get legalistic and say, well, you know what? You got to have more than two kids, you know, or you got to. Why? Listen, if my wife and I leave it up to just God, like in, in the sense of just, okay, exactly how we are, guess what? We'll have one child for the rest of our life. My wife can't have any more kids. That's not something that we decided. That was something that was decided for us. And so ultimately, we, we pursued the, the avenue of adoption because we want to have another child, so that's the way that we want to go. But here's the point. The point is that doesn't mean everybody has to adopt. Did you hear what I just said? You're not going to hell if you don't adopt a child. You're not going to hell if you don't have more than two kids. You're not going to hell if you don't have more than one child. But here's what I'm saying. You're not, let me say this because y'all, 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 I know y'all just need to hear this. You're not going to go to hell if you don't have any children and you're married. But can I tell you something? You are being disobedient to the scriptures if you are able to have children. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not telling you this what I think. I'm telling you what the Bible says. This is what God wills. He wants us to do what? He wants us to raise up godly offspring. Why do I preach this to you? You know, some of you are like, Bishop, I'm already past. I say, that's good, but you need to know how to counsel others. You need to know how to communicate. You need to know what the truth is so you don't go out there letting culture influence you and you just start regurgitating stuff because you sound smart. No. This is what the Bible says. He wants us to be fruitful and multiply today just like he did in the Garden of Eden. Different reasons. Right? Because obviously they were replenishing the earth, so there was, they needed to be much more fruitful. So don't go and, you know, I'm not telling you to go and have 50 kids. That's not what I'm saying. But you need to decide. Listen, you, you really seriously. I mean, there, there's some people, there, there, there's one person, I'm, I'm going to get off this point right now, but there's one, there's one family that I've heard of, and their position on, on the whole birth control thing is this. They said, you know what? God is in, sovereignly in control. If he wants us to have more kids, we're going to have more kids. If he doesn't, we won't. And so we just continue to do it. We use no birth control. I don't know how many kids they have. They have like eight kids, like eight, nine, something like that. That's, the, that's their position. That's what they trust. But you know what they do, and this is what I love about this family, is that this family doesn't sit here and look at other people who are on birth control and say, oh, you're going to hell. They don't do that. They say, that's your choice, that's what you're doing, and so, you know, that's, that's between you and God. It's a conscience issue. Amen? And so, how many children you have, that doesn't make you less holy or more holy, but you should be prayerful and consider what you're going to do. And here's the thing that I will say. You should only be seen as irresponsible if you have not counted the cost and are not paying the price to raise up God-fearing disciples of Jesus. Understand something. The most important thing is that you understand. You may, listen, you may, if you decide to have a whole bunch of kids, you may not live in that big old house that you want to have. You may not drive that car that you want to drive. You may not have all the commodities. Because you know what happened, what's happening in our culture in our days? This is what's happening. Houses are getting bigger. Families are getting smaller. So we have three rooms that we don't use. And then you got other families like me. When I was growing up, there were six of us. We had like two rooms, and we were making up rooms. <laughs> like the kitchen was my bedroom at night, you know, because they had like a couch thing there. And so I'd move in, and that's where I used to sleep. And so ultimately, the, the, the fact is, you know, we have more space, and we're not even using it. Mm-hmm. I love y'all. The most important thing when it comes to parenting, as far as children go and all of that, the cost is this. Are you going to pay the price to raise up godly children? Are you going to do that? That's where the cost comes in. 
that you're going to live godly before them, that you're going to love them right, that you're going to show them what hard work is, that you are going to devote yourself to making sure that these kids see Jesus in you. That's the most important thing. The third point that I make to you today is this. Say, family, health cannot be treated as a secondary issue, but a primary concern. Family health cannot be treated as a secondary issue, but a primary concern. We won't turn to these scriptures. You can write them down. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5 and verse 12. And then the book of Titus chapter 1 and verse 6. I say them again. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 through 5 and verse 12. And the book of Titus chapter 1 and, and verse 6. In every area, in both of these areas, the apostle Paul, he is speaking about something. He's talking about who it is that is going to lead the church. He's talking about the male leadership that is going to rise up in the church. And what he does is this, is he says that in every one of these areas, family health is to be a priority, not a secondary or irrelevant issue. As a matter of fact, you should not even be considered for leadership if your family is not healthy. Understand that. The only people that should lead are those who know how to lead their families. One of the greatest things that, I have, that I've heard Mark Driscoll say regarding, um, regarding um, elders in the church and, and communicating these things about elders is he says, you know what the thing is this, is that good pastors are made of good Christians. And you know what the problem is? The problem is we'll have people that are good preachers but not good Christians who are pastoring and they shouldn't be. Did you hear that? They're not good Christians. They're not living for Jesus like they should. It appears that way because, you know, we know how to compartmentalize. We know how to keep everyone out of our business, keep them at arm's, arm's length, and, and we're good, and everything looks good on the outside. But when you get to know someone you see their family life, something totally different is going on inside of their house. And that's not a Christian home, and that's a problem. And so what does Paul say here? Paul says family life. And what did I say? I said this before. I said, I said that when you look at the standards for elders, that is what a good Christian looks like. It's not just saying, because this is what it says. It says that he who desires the work of a bishop should be these things. It doesn't say they should become these things once they're a leader. No. It says they should be these things already. And so that means that they should be all of these things already. They should have already been tested, already gone through that. And when I talk about male leadership, we'll deal with that in more depth and detail. But ultimately, here is the reality. The reality is that we're called to have healthy families. Healthy families. And you know where healthy families begin? It begins with healthy leadership in the family. It begins with unified parents if there are a father and a, and, and a mother in the house. It begins with a mother or a father if there are single parents who are leading their children faithfully. But more than anything else, remember what I said earlier in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It is not solely about teaching. It is about living it. It is about it being deep inside of your heart. And so that becomes the ultimate question. Is it deep in there? Now, here's what I want you to understand. Perfection is impossible. Say that with me. Perfection is impossible. We're not talking about perfect families. We're not talking about perfect people because there are none. We all fall short. If it was about perfection, I might as well shut the mic off and leave the building because I am imperfect as they come. But what I do make sure and I continue to grow in is making sure that my family is a priority. I will say it like this. Just as a garden will not cultivate itself, so a family will not just be healthy by good intentions and desires alone. We must put our hands to the plow and infuse our families with the gospel. 
Listen, you could have a vision, you could have a dream of a great, glorious garden with all these flowers and all these colors, but if you're not out there digging up the holes, if you're not out there putting those plants in the ground or paying someone to do it, it's one or the other. Guess what's not going to happen? Those things are not going to flourish. Those things will not flourish. As a matter of fact, you got to stay on that. We have some plants out there. Brother Jose, he came and he put some plants out. And I was on vacation, so I couldn't water them. And when I came back from vacation, I was like, man, these plants are going to die. And I'm like, you know, trying to water them every day. And I don't even know, I don't really even know how to, like, water plants because I'm definitely not, you know, a green thumb guy. So I'm just like, just water. You know, I see a little puddle. I let it go. And I walk inside for like an hour. I come out. I water it some more. Let it puddle up. And I'm like, all right, now we're going home. I guess it's working. I don't know. We'll see in a couple of weeks. But ultimately, ultimately, here's the deal. You want something to flourish, your family, you got to be intentional. It's not just going to happen because you heard that it should be that way. It's going to happen because you put your hands to the plow and because you make it happen. And that goes with your relationship and everything else. And so in closing, I'll say this. Multi-generational discipleship is only possible when the families that make up the local church are devoted to it. Let me say it again. Multi-generational discipleship is only possible when the families that make up the local church are devoted to it. That's what we're talking about, multi-generational discipleship. Not just about you being a good Christian, not just about your children being good Christians, but about their children being impacted by the power of the gospel through our lives. That's what we have to be devoted to. And so I hope that you were edified. I hope that you were challenged. If you will all stand to your feet, please, and let us pray together.